Okay, we at uh, Unit 6, Session 6, and um, uh, we'll be talking about missions. Missions today. Uh, let's see if I can get this right now. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth about 56 AD while he was on his third missionary journey. And uh, what he did was he addressed many of the significant issues and questions that the church were facing during that time. In chapter 9, Paul encouraged the church to lay aside personal rights something that people don't like to give up on, uh, in order to reach people with the gospel. Such rights meant little to people if they did not come to Jesus Christ. And many times we are challenged to do the same thing, give up our rights. And that's what we're going to look at today as we go into this uh, session. So the first question we have on page 121 is what? What do you like best about connecting with people? What do you like best? What's the best thing you like about connecting with people? It's educational. Educational, okay. You can learn stuff from people, right? When you connect with a person for the first time, you learn some stuff about that person, and they probably learn some stuff about you. But you're more interested in learning some things about them. What else? It's fascinating. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. Mm -hmm. People are always interesting. Yes. It makes, it, it makes us realize how complex God is in terms of making people because everybody is different. Mm -hmm. Everybody have a different temperament. Uh, and it's interesting what we find out when we meet people. I met a guy yesterday that uh, wasn't too pleasant. It went to the went to the mall at Marathon, and um, we went into the AID store. And you know, they ask you to leave your bags at the front, right? Mm -hmm. And they give you this ticket. Mm -hmm. Well, we did that. When we were ready to leave, they couldn't find our bike. Oh, uh, and uh, I gave the guy my ticket, and he said, "Oh, you see your bike." Wow. I said, I gave you a ticket. The ticket had a number on it, right? I said, wow. for the ticket, right? They couldn't find the bike. They still haven't found the bike. Oh right? And my wife had just bought a brand new pair of shoes for Juliana to go to school. So after running around, we had called the store manager, and she called her boss, and they decided to uh, give us our money for the stuff that Somebody got, somebody got a blessing, you know, because um, I had bought some stuff from AID from, from Kelly's and my wife bought the shoes from, from um, uh, Shoe Depot, you know, but it was an interesting encounter with the security guard uh, yesterday because he did not have a clue on what he was doing. And while we were standing there waiting, he almost gave other people somebody else's bikes. 
repeatedly. <laughs> you know, and the sign, they have a sign policy on the thing that says, you, you get a ticket and they, they, they staple a stub onto your bag and they keep a ticket. But he wasn't doing that. He was just taking your bag and giving you a ticket. And when you came back for your bag, he'd look at it, he'd take the ticket and say, you see your bag? <laughs> and so somebody, anybody could say, well, I like that one there, so I want that one. He couldn't okay. read. I don't know what he couldn't do. That's probably what uh, You know, so it was interesting. It was very interesting meeting that individual yesterday <laughs> and the store manager. Okay, let's look at Bible meets life. It's called the Empathy Museum, but it's a different kind of museum that you may be used to. When you walk in, someone will fit you with a pair of shoes. They will be very different from your own. They may be the actual shoes a chess grandmaster has worn, or a roller derby player, or even a sewer worker. The Empathy Museum is designed to help you experience that old saying, you can't understand another person until you walk a mile in their shoes. It also functions a kind of library Although you don't borrow a book, you borrow another person, and you talk. You learn about that person, including his or her life experiences. The whole experience is designed to help you to see the world through another person's eyes. What if we took that a step further? What if, instead of simply understanding the other person, we use that understanding to build a bridge, and not just any bridge, but a bridge to Jesus Christ. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul modeled for us in 1 Corinthians 9. And that's exactly what we need to do as disciples of Jesus. Amen. Anybody ever been to an empathy museum? No. <laughs> Interesting place, eh? Yeah. Okay, so what's the point of our lesson today? We can better share the gospel when we step into the shoes of others. Okay, we can better share the gospel when we step in the shoes of others. It's something to think about, isn't it? Okay, let's read the first passage uh, that we have on page 123. Although I am free from all and not anyone slave, I have made myself a slave to everyone in order to win other people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. To the Jews, to those under the law, like one under the law. To I myself am not under the law. To then those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law. Though I am not without the law, without God's law, but under the law of Christ. To then those without the law. To the weak I became weak, in order to win the weak. I have some, I have become all things to all people. So that I may be every possible need, so that I may by every possible need save some. Now I do all this because of the gospel, so that I may share in the blessing. Okay, let's zero in on verse 20 there. So verse 20? Paul says, to the Jews I became like a what? To do what? To win Jews. To those under the law, I became one under the law. Though I myself not under the law, but I do that 
so that I could win them. Now, in, in verse 20, we notice that Paul affirmed that to the Jews, I became like a Jew. Now, his comment seems strange because at first because he was born a Jew. He was actually born a Jew. In, in uh, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5, we have these words. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. That's Paul. That's how he described himself in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5. He was an important leader among the Jews prior to his conversion. And we see that uh, reference in a number of passages. Uh, one of them is Acts chapter 26, uh, verses 4 and 5. We read, as the Jewish leaders were well aware, Paul writes, I was given a thorough Jewish training from my earliest childhood among my own people and in Jerusalem. Verse 5. If they would admit me, if they would admit it, they know that I have been a member of the Pharisees, the strictest sect or of our religion. And then in Acts chapter 26, same chapter, verses 9 to 10, uh, we see these words also by, by, by Paul. Notice what he says. He says, I used to believe that I thought that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. Verse 10, indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison, and I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. Verse 11, many times I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was also violently, violently opposed to them. I was also, I was so violently, violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. So what did Paul do? Paul adopted this strategy to win Jews to Jesus. Good strategy, don't you think? The words to those under the law, Paul clarified the, the words to those under the law, Paul clarifies his statement early in the verse. He ethnically was a Jew, but he was free from the law because of his relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's a distinction that he makes there. He makes sure clarifies that. Romans chapter 7 verse 4 says, So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. And so he clarifies his position when he talks about being uh, under the law. Many in Paul's day sought to keep the law of Moses in order to be right with God. Paul said no one ever could be right by keeping the law. And he repeated that many times in his writings, but needed God's grace through faith in Christ. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 28, 
We read, so we are made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law. Again, we are made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law. However, Paul did not give offense and needlessly turn from the gospel, turn people from the gospel. So for this group, he became like one under the law. He affirmed that he himself was not under the law because it no longer had the power to condemn him. At the same time, Paul felt free to submit to Jewish laws such as keeping kosher or observing the Sabbath. Such practices did not violate his conscience and his observing them allowed them to step into the shoes of others to share Christ. So you see how he's able to step into the shoes of others? He didn't look down on them. He didn't condemn them. He didn't judge them. He got on their level. Okay, and so that's what we are challenged with today. Many times uh, Christian people are, people condemn Christians because one of their ma main complaints is they think they're better than me. How many times have you heard that? We heard that a lot, right? Whenever a person, uh, you, you confront a person to, with, uh, with the gospel of Christ, uh, they would often use that bill to get you off track. All right, to throw you off. But Paul put himself in the shoes of others in order that he would share Christ. In other words, Paul did whatever it took uh, that was not unpleasing to God in order that he would win others to Christ. Wonder how much we're willing to do that. Let's look at the, the, the paragraphs beneath the verse. Someone read that please. We speak a lot of language in today's world and I don't just mean English, Spanish, or what I hear Chinese. <laughs> Even within the same verbal language, we have a lot of different cultural languages. For example, a 20 something talks about life a lot differently than a senior adult. And people from the Northwest don't always understand people from the South. <laughs> In his travels, the Apostle Paul experienced similar cultural differences. The Roman Empire was massive, which meant it contained people from various backgrounds and cultures, all of whom viewed life differently, and all of whom saw the gospel differently. Despite these challenges, Paul made it Paul understood that different people can be reached in different ways for the truth of the gospel. He was committed to this process, which is why he said, I have become all things to all people so that I may be every possible means to save them. <clears throat> Paul even made himself a slave to this task. He was a free Roman citizen and free in Christ, yet he chose to serve these different people in whatever ways would influence them to bring them to Christ. In this way, Paul followed the model Jesus left us. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark Next page. That's critical because Jesus is our best example of serving others and sharing the gospel. In this passage, we see Paul reaching out to people where they were not where he expected them to be. 
Specifically, Paul identified three different groups within his culture that needed the gospel. One, the Jews. Paul was a Jew, of course, yet because of the grace of Christ, he knew he no longer had to follow customs and rituals of the Jewish law. When interacting with Jews, however, Paul followed their practices as a way to win their trust and gain a hearing for his message. See Acts. Number two, those without that law. There were Gentiles. These were the Gentiles. The best example of how Paul accommodated the Gentiles is in his speech at the Areopagus in Athens. He acts again. He didn't dwell in the law of or the Messiah. Rather, he began by addressing the culture and the world they knew. Number three, the week. Here, Paul was talking about the same weak people mentioned on the previous chapter, see 1 Corinthians, because these fellow believers had little understanding and a weak conscience. The action of other believers could become a stumbling block. Paul identified with their situation in order to help disciple them in the gospel. Paul was always flexible and he was always willing to step out his own comfort zone for the sake of the gospel. We also may need to step out of our comfort zones, but we must do so without losing our own identity in Christ. Amazingly, through this process, we can help others find their own identity in Christ. Okay. A couple of things that we note, but uh, let's look at those passages that uh, we are... to see. Um, someone look up for, uh, the first one, Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 1 to 3, and then someone get the other passage, Acts 21, 23 to 26, someone else can get the other one, Acts 17, 22 to 31, and then let's have someone, and someone else to the last one, 1 Corinthians 8, 7 to 13. Okay, who have the first one? I'll go get it. Well, I've got it. Okay, good. <laughs> Acts 16. Uh, One to three. three. He came to Derby and then to Vistra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Stop me where they're supposed to be. Go to verse three. Uh-huh. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, okay, that's, that's verses 1 to 3, Acts 16. Okay. Okay, let's look at the other, go up the other passage. <clears throat> Yeah, 23 to 26. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, 
from being strangled and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Okay. Acts 17, 22 to 31. Who have that one? Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Arabs and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown I am going to proclaim to you. Go ahead. Go ahead to verse 31. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men and they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that when men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our own being. As some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think about the divine being as like gold or silver or stone, an image made in the man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Keep going. 31, last verse. Okay, last one. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to all this to all men by raising him from the dead. Okay. That's a mouthful right there. Okay, let's look at the last passage. First uh, Corinthians 8, 7 to 13. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think it is as good. Worship of their gods, and their weak consciences are violated. It's true that we, we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. For if others see you, the just superior knowledge, even in the temple of an island, won't they be encouraged to violate their conscience by eating food that is being offered to idols? So because of your superior knowledge, a weaker believer, for whom Christ died, will be destroyed. And then you sin against other believer by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong, you are sinning against Christ. So 
whenever I eat horses and love it, we leave to sin. I will never eat meat again as long as I live. But I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. Okay. All right, let's look at a couple of points there that uh, stand out in the, in the passage that we read. Some main points. Uh, the first one being, Paul understood that different people can be reached in different ways through the truth of the gospel. You believe that? Yes. Paul understood that, and that's what he practiced. He believed that and he practiced that. He was committed to this process, which is why he said, I have become all things to all people so that I may, by every possible means, do what? Save all of them, right? Some. You see, sometimes we get turned away by how overwhelming it is that the people, uh, uh, the amount of people, what's it? I'm not going to try to save everybody. Just some of them. Just some. And so he says, I will become all things so that I may, it, I may be very, every, in every possible means, save some. The second point we note there is, in this way, Paul followed the model Jesus left us. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Quote from Mark 10.45. Okay, and that's the same thing that we are to do. Paul followed Jesus' example, and so we can follow Jesus' example as well. But then Paul, remember one place Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ? This is a good example to follow, of him following Christ and how we can follow him. And then uh, the third point is, in this passage we see Paul reaching out to people where they were, not where he expected them to be. Now, isn't that a valid point for today? Many times we run into people and we expect them to be where we want them to be, and if they're not there, then, you know, we turned off. Okay, but Paul reached people where they were, not where he expected them to be. Question number two. How did you first hear the gospel? You should all be jumping up at that one, right? <laughs> Sunday school at home. Okay, Sunday school at home. Yeah, I heard in Sunday school too. Yeah, missionaries from the Midwest to us that were in Long Island for many years. Okay. Um, the Fords, the Blowers, the Hines, the Chrysler's, they were all United States missionary. Okay. So you heard about them for the first time in Long Island from missionaries? Okay, anybody else? Huh? You heard it from a co-worker. Okay, the co-worker is doing that job. Anybody else? In the home. Huh? In the home. In the home. Okay. I will answer this way. How did I first understand the gospel? Not hearing it, understanding. It's when I need money for that. Okay. Okay. All right, let's look at the other <coughs> next passage. Um, the next passage. Let's skip. Question number three. Well, let's look at question number three. What are some different approaches Christians use for sharing the gospel? 
some different approaches Christians use for sharing the gospel. Being hospitable. Being hospitable, okay. Okay. Like Paul said, look at what he does. Look at what he does, okay, following Paul. Okay. Anyone else? Different approaches. They're about as unique as people are. Mm -hmm. But the gospel is what you get to eventually. That's mm -hmm. the point. Which is the one thing. Yeah. Some people use uh, um, outings. Uh, you go to Starbucks, sit down and talk with somebody, and eventually uh, people talk about ball games, sports, and eventually as a vehicle to get to the gospel. Uh, some people talk about the weather. You know, uh, whenever a person talks about how hot it is, that's a good door right there. You know, um, if you're not a Christian, boy, this heat is nothing compared to where non-Christians are going to end up. I mean, you need to make some preparations because it's going to be hot. All right? So, different ways people use uh, to share the gospel. Okay, let's uh, go to the next passage. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27, page 126. Don't you know that the runners in the stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs beneath that. Paul was fully committed to reaching anybody and everybody with the gospel. He didn't go through life like one who runs aimlessly or like one beating the air. He had a specific goal and exercised discipline work. To reach that goal, though, was never easy. Paul saw it as a serious task that required strict discipline and self-control. He underscored this by comparing the Christian life and ministry with an athletic race. Such an analogy was easy for the church in Corinth to understand because of the Isthmian games held in their city every two years. These games were a big deal, second only to the Olympic Games. Unlike our modern athletic events, ancient athletes only won a prize if they took first place. And certainly no participation <laughs> awards were handed out. An athlete either won the race or he went home empty-handed. Yeah, boy. Out of their desire to win, the athletes in Corinth abstained from certain foods, sexual relations, and virtually everything else in order to focus on their race. Sure, a time of celebration and rest came after, but their goals required sacrifices they prepared to run. In today's world, athletes who discipline themselves to excel and win can receive a variety of prizes from money to gold medals to the privilege of putting a 26.2 sticker on their cars. 
In Paul's day, the athletes won a perishable crown, which was nothing more than a ceremonial wreath of leaves. <laughs> That's quite a contrast to the prize that awaits believers who are disciplined in the life of ministry to which God has called them. Paul didn't explain what that prize is other than an imperishable crown. The only other reference Paul made to a prize was the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus out of Philippians 3.14. Still, we can be confident that this prize is eternal and of great value. As we've seen, only one athlete won the prize in Paul's day. Even in our modern Olympic Games, only three competitors take the winner's stand in each event. But everyone who runs after Christ will win, assuming that, like Paul, we are disciplined and determined to run in such a way to win the prize. Interestingly, even Paul worked to remain disciplined in his life and service so that I myself will not be disqualified. This wasn't a matter of losing salvation, but of missing out on the prize that comes from serving the one who saves us. We all have days when we love to serve Christ by resting in a hammock, but serving Christ and reaching people with the gospel takes disciplined work and effort. As we rely on God's Spirit to work through us, we need to go where people are, and that often means stepping outside our comfort zones. It takes discipline and self-control, but it's worth it. Keep your eyes on Jesus and look for opportunities to share your faith in him with others. Your identity is in Christ. Take that identity, step into the lives of others, and lead them to find their identity in Christ. Okay, amen. Talking about stepping out of comfort zones. We don't like to leave those comfort zones, do we? <laughs> you know, we have a uh, park ministry coming up on Friday. 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 And my wife was saying, you know, said, boy, it's going to be interesting because when I served on jury duty, uh, it was a murder case. And one of the friends of the murder victim lives in Mason's Edition. She said, boy, I wonder if he's going to recognize that I was on the jury. <laughs> I said, uh, I said, but you don't have to go. <laughs> she said, oh, no, I'm going. <laughs> All right. So talking about stepping out of your comfort zones, right? Uh, that came to mind. Uh, some book say, but I'm not going. He may, his friend may recognize me and, uh, and try to get back at me. Okay, let's look at uh, the next question. Number four. What is the prize for living the Christian life each and every day? You read something about that in the paragraph just now, right? What is the prize? Eternal crown. Eternal crown. Okay, not the little wreath of leaves, not the gold medal, okay, not even the gold medal and all the perks that come with it. You know, a lot of perks come with those gold medals, right? It's a lot of cash and there's a lot of benefits and a whole lot of stuff. When a person wins and wins a gold medal, they're, they're practically set for life, okay? Uh, but he says, uh, an eternal crown. Now, we don't know, he didn't give any details of what it's like, but I tell you, it's going to be worth it when you get it. All right. Uh, the next question, number five: What things might be, what might we need to set aside in order to pick up, in order to to pick up to run the race of faith well? What do you need to put aside? 
Okay, self. Okay, talks about uh, um, diets, right? Changing lifestyle. So a lot of things involved there, right? Like not doing things that you would instinctually really like to do. Exactly. Sometimes you don't do them, or you ought not to do them for the sake of others. And then there are some things that come by second nature to you. You don't even think about it, you just do them. So it means getting a grip on that and being able to change that. Uh, the final paragraph on page 20, 127 says, We all have days when we love to serve Christ by resting in a hammock. But serving Christ and reaching people with the gospel takes disciplined work and effort. As we rely on God's Spirit to work through us, we need to go where people are. And that often means stepping outside our comfort zones. It takes discipline and self-control, but it's worth it. Keep your eyes on Jesus and look for opportunities to share your faith in him with others. Your identity in Christ Take that identity, step into the lives of others, and lead them to find their identity in Christ. Okay, challenging words, right? Discipline and self-control. We know that anything that is worth accomplishing takes those two things, right? Okay, so the point is, we can better share the gospel when we do what? Step in the shoes, shoes of, others. of others. Okay, let's look at how we can apply this lesson today now. Um, let's take a look at, live it out, on page 128. How will you step into the shoes of others this week in order to share the gospel? Consider the following suggestions. Pray. Identify someone you know personally who still needs to follow Christ. Pray for this person each day. Ask for guidance and opportunities to be a witness. Okay? Pray. Learn. Work with a partner to study a specific people group in your community or around the world. Learn what you can, what you can about their beliefs and customs. Pray that the gospel would penetrate their culture. Ask God how you can get involved. And then step out. As a group, plan a ministry project to serve a person or group. Something that requires you to step out of your comfort zone, seek a way to connect with that person or community in order to share Christ. That opportunity is on Friday. Yes. All right? So you can, you can apply to number three on Friday. Yes. Okay? Um, in fact, when I was coming over here just now, they always stopped me at the door and said they need counselors. For Friday, and ask me if I'd be available. Okay, so if you are interested, you can be involved. Oh, what we have to do is show up. Mm -hmm. We don't want Lee Street Gospel to be the only good representation in the neighborhood. We need to come and show that we have an interest in our neighborhood just by your presence there. That's right. Participating by singing and following the sermon mm -hmm. and Whatever, it shows an interest in the people, just your presence alone. And then we get a chance to interact with them because we're going to have light refreshments afterwards. Good. Okay. So let's not make, let, let, let's not East Street make us look bad. I got saved at East Street, by the way. <laughs> I got saved at East Street Gospel Chapel. 
Uh, so let's not let East Street make Calvary Bible look bad, okay? Let's show up. All right? So while walking a mile in someone's shoes is harder than we often realize, but it is, ne it is a necessary part of sharing the gospel with those who need to hear it. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? Think about it. Pray about it. And then do it. Amen? Amen.